the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. We arrive in church today to discover a change in season. The green of the Epiphany seasons become the violet of pre-Lent. Septuagesima reorients us. The Epiphany season, which we just completed, is a meditation on the Incarnation, and it looks backward towards Christmas. Today we turn our heads and begin to look forward towards Easter and to the cross that necessarily precedes it. Pre-Lent is a tap on the shoulder to remind us that Lent is two and a half weeks away. I remember a professor who wrote a commentary on Mark's Gospel. and He said that as Jesus is revealed as the Son of God, there is a growing drumbeat of rejection that says he is going to die. Pre-Lent has that effect on the life of prayer. Just as we are glorying in the revelation of Jesus as as the Son of God and the ways he has been revealed to us and in all the possibilities of faith, we remember that he is going to die and that we share in his resurrection life by sharing in his cross. Or to put it in positive terms, Easter is coming, but there's this little thing called the cross we have to go through first. We are not in Lent yet. Pre-Lent provides us with a kind of runway. We are not fasting, but we are beginning to think about the ways that we will fast, even as we enjoy some last pre-Lenten celebrations. The lessons for Septuagesima, the parable of the laborers in the vineyard, and a lesson from 1 Corinthians about the discipline necessary to win a race, both point forward towards the goal. The laborer works for a denarius, which represents salvation. The runner strives for a crown, which represents eternal glory. Both point towards Easter. We are striving for the crown of resurrection. We are laboring faithfully in time towards the end and goal of eternal life. However, there is a significant way that the analogy in each lesson does not work, and that is part of the point. Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like a man who hired laborers in his vineyard. And then he told a story that illustrates precisely how the kingdom of heaven is unlike a normal labor arrangement. The man who worked one hour got the same pay as the man who worked 12. Try doing that in your workplace and see how it affects morale. Jesus, or St. Paul, says that all run in a race, but only one receives the prize. However, his whole point is that everyone can run the race in such a way as to receive a prize. To win, we must strive against the adversaries called the world, the flesh, and the devil. But we do not have to compete against each other. We can all win. So the kingdom of heaven is not exactly like a race either. One point made by both lessons 
is that the dynamics of grace don't fit neatly always into ordinary life examples. And we get the point of both when we understand the discordance, the way the kingdom of heaven is not like an ordinary race, and the way the kingdom of heaven is not like hiring laborers in the workplace. And this discordance reflects a foundational paradox of the Christian life. All is grace, but we must work very hard. Salvation is a gift that costs everything that we have. Reconciling this paradox is of no small importance since the division of the Western church is in large measure founded upon it. On the one hand, there is the proclamation that salvation comes through faith and cannot be earned by our labor and merits. On the other hand, there is the truth that spiritual growth requires the practice of actual disciplines over extended periods of time. The late Orthodox priest Alexander Schmemann exposes the error on one side when he writes, quote, the fight of the new Adam against the old is a long and painful one. And what a naive oversimplification it is to think, as some do, that the salvation they experience in revivals and decisions for Christ, and which result in moral righteousness, soberness, and warm philanthropy, is the whole of salvation, is what God meant when he gave his son for the life of the world. But it is also an error to think that the performance of religious duties and good works somehow stores up merits that will earn us salvation when our Lord comes in glory on the last day to judge the living and the dead. For every worthy religious thing we do is also rooted in grace, is itself a gift from God. We must indeed, for example, establish disciplines of prayer and fasting. Yet the very ability to pray and to gain benefit from fasting is itself a gift of grace from God. The primary labor of the Christian life is repentance, the continued death of the old Adam through confession, and the continual purification of our motives and aims through the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Salvation is a gift. We must open our hearts to receive that gift. Salvation does not mean freedom from labor. It means freedom from futility. In Christ, through the Spirit, our labor becomes fruitful. As we orient towards Easter, we can draw a lesson from each of our lessons. The parable of the laborers in the vineyard challenges our pride and our selfishness. If we are honest, we are sympathetic with the guy who worked all day and got paid the same as the guy who worked one hour. But this is about the kingdom of God, not about paying your employees. 
No matter when you come to faith, you will receive the reward of eternal life and resurrection as a gift. The sin of the all-day laborer is the sin of self-righteous religious people who think they deserve more. I've been in church all my life, and then these new people come in and take my seat and get all this attention. The longer you've been in church, the longer you've been a believing and practicing follower of Jesus Christ, the more you should know about the love and grace of God, and the more you should want to share that with others. You should see your long time of faith as a privilege, a gift you've been given, not a thing you possess. Do you think you deserve more because of how good you've been for so long a time? Do you begrudge God's goodness to newer believers whom you deem less worthy? Such attitudes reveal a need for self-examination and repentance as we begin to move towards Easter. The teaching of St. Paul about running a race reminds me of a scene from a high school cross-country meet. One of my sons did one year of cross-country, so I was not that familiar with it, and what I saw was new to me. The scene I remember was at the end of the race. Every runner in the race had finished except one girl who was finishing quite a bit behind the pack. But the whole team was at the finish line, cheering her on as she approached the finish line. However, the point of their cheering was not merely charitable love for a girl who was not talented in running. Rather, they were cheering because she was running to achieve her personal best time, which, if my memory serves me, she did achieve on that day. She wasn't running against anyone else. She was running against her old self and trying to get better. And that is all that really matters in the race that we each are running. As we look towards Easter and contemplate the ways that we want to grow, it is important not to look at other people and compare ourselves with them. God does not care about how you compare with someone else. Comparisons are demonic in origin. They only serve to distract us from the real goal of the spiritual life. We are striving to grow through and beyond our own sins, not the sins of others. We are striving to grow into the image of Christ in the unique way that image has been planted within each of us through the gift of the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.